of uh, numbers today. Tomorrow begins, or I guess not tomorrow, right? The day after that begins the new year. Exciting, huh? Who's, who's having a party? Right? Come on, don't raise your hand, right? Everybody's going to show up at your house. Yeah. I remember uh, uh, 1999, right? It's almost been 20 years. right? I remember everybody freaking out, right? All the computers are going to die, and we're going to go back to the Stone Age. Right, we're almost 20 years later, and now we're freaking out about they're going to take over everything, right? I mean, now our computers are driving our cars, right? We can tell our car, hey, go park in the driveway, or go park in the garage, or come pick me up from work, right? And, and they'll just do whatever we want. I, I, I kid you not, challenges in the next 10 years for church will be cars that show up with no one in them, so people... So it will look like you were at church without actually having been there. <laughs> Telling you, man, challenges of church in the next 10 years. Man, it's going to be a great year. Who's making New Year's resolutions? Anybody? New Year's resolutions? Yep. Everybody's afraid to raise their hand. You've already been thinking about it, but that's all right. That's all right. I hear you. Yeah, New Year's resolutions. All right. We're going to take a little bit... Uh, of time over the next couple of weeks to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. I'm just going to touch on them here and there, but uh, 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 I want to read a verse to you. And in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, it says, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. Right? Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor that had, had been with him uh, from as a young teenager and planted churches with Paul and ends up in the church of Ephesus as a pastor. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, for this season of your life and for every season, the word of God has got to be more powerful than the words of man. You catch that? The word of God's got to hold more weight than the words of man. That might be a word for you this year, Right? Let the Word of God carry more weight in your life this year than the words of man. And if somebody has said something to you over your last season that has impacted you more than the Word of God, you have permission to say, you know what? You're out. Amen? Right. You're out. So he goes on in verse 8 and he says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having the promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. See, diet and exercise are good, right? If you don't have your health, you don't have anything, right? Our, our health is important. Don't be an invalid for Jesus. I mean, if you have to be an invalid, be one for Jesus. But if you don't have to be one, don't be one, right? Make good choices, exercise, it's important. But what Paul, what Paul is saying is that there's something more than that. See, as a believer, you have a personal trainer. Do you know that? Every minute of every hour of every day, you have a, spirit, a spiritual personal trainer, the Holy Spirit that is developing something in you of spiritual strength and of spiritual life. Godliness is character-based and it's spiritual-focused. And it'll overflow into every choice that you make. Right? Working out physically, it's important. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us going. But the thing is, God wants to shape and develop you and develop me as spiritual people, right? Who are strong in our soul. 
Experts say 80% of health is diet, right? Everybody's heard that? 80% of health is diet. I don't agree with it. I'm kidding. I actually do agree with it, but man, I hate it when I'm getting a cheeseburger and I'm going, oh man, right? 80% of health is diet. If we want to develop godly habits, we have to have the correct spiritual diet, right? We've got to become people this year of the word. We've got to become people this year of prayer, right? Um, back when, uh, back in Moses' day, God told Moses to tell the Israelites to put the word of God on their foreheads and strap it on their arms. It was a, a little box that would tie on called tefillin. And they would put the, the word of God for the day, like a scripture memory for the day, in the box or on, in the box on their forehead. And they would remember it. They'd see each other and they'd, rem- they'd know what the, the verse of the day is, right? Or the verse of the week. It was to help them to, to always be reminded that, of what God's word says about them and says for them. Right? It's kind of like the old school version of Apple Watch. Right? We have unlimited resources today to get the word of God into our lives. Right? I can you know, type some stuff in here and that thing will ding like every hour and remind me of the verse of the day. Right? That was kind of the, the old school equivalent. But we have so many resources today. We have MP3s, we have iPods, we have um, you name it. You can get uh, podcasts, you can drive to work in your car in the morning and have the word of God playing to you. Right? The, the resources today to get the word of God into our lives is unlimited, absolutely unlimited. So I want to challenge you guys this year, today, start this week by making some steps to get the word of God into your life every day. Become a person of prayer, right? My daughter, uh, she's with a, a, a small group um, in our youth ministry who they have an app on their phone that, like every single day, they, a, a group of them, a group of our young people, read the same verse, and then they have some commentary. They, they write about it, and they journal with each other, and they share about it, and they pray with each other. It's super awesome. That's something that you guys could do too. It's super, super accessible, right? Uh, Philippians 1.6 says this, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Have you ever said to yourself or to somebody else, I don't care if it's the last thing on earth I do. I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank. This verse is essentially God saying that about fulfilling his calling and his vision for you. And you can't beat a guarantee like that, can you? You cannot beat a guarantee like that. God is saying, if it's the last thing on earth I do, I'm going to shape you and develop you into the best you you can be. And amen, I need that. Yeah. So enough about that. Um, that's, my, that's my blurb on New Year's resolutions for today. Next week, I'll have you another one, right? But uh, let's pray, shall we? All right, Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, that you are at work. Lord, there are seasons in our lives, Lord, where we spend so much time, we forget that there's light at the end of the tunnel. But Lord, I pray today that you would remind us that you have a mission in store with our name on it, and it's to deliver us to that light. It's to deliver us to your light. Lord, to, to, to bring us to a place of, of absolute trust and faith in you, no matter what season, no matter what transition. So Jesus, today, speak to us through your word and bring life in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So um, 
there was a time in my life when uh, I had like this absolute eye-opening experience and realized that, that uh, there was something traumatic uh, like right in front of me. I, I had just started fourth grade and uh, there was this new thing that threatened my fun and my, my life experience and it was this thing called homework. Yeah, and it was terrifying because, you know, I'd get home from school and I'd get my mom's best spoons and I'd go dig up a giant worm and I would find my brother and stick it on him. And I thought, I'm not even going to be able to do anything fun because I'm going to have this, this homework all the time. And so I thought, well, I don't need homework to learn. I'm smarter than that. So I'm sitting in class and like, it's like the first week or two of class and we start getting homework packets, right? These same kind of things your kids bring home to you, Right? that send shivers down your spine because you remember when you got them. And you think, oh, man, it's homework packets. And now today's homework packets, right? You read them and you're like, I don't even know how to do this. Dang, I should have done these in fourth grade. So I could have learned it. Well, I decided that, um, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the system, right? And I noticed there was an empty desk right beside my desk. So I'd get these homework packets and I would just be like, oh, just tuck that thing in there. Right? And I came up with some of the best excuses at the end of each week for why I didn't have my homework turned in. Right? And my mom would ask, you know, do you have homework? No, I don't have any homework. What are you talking about? No, I got this figured out. And uh, so we went for like a, a whole quarter with not doing any homework and telling my teacher all these crazy elaborate excuses. And we got to the point where uh, the, the quarter meeting with the teacher and the parent happened, right? And uh, I go with my mom, and, and on the teacher's desk is a stack of papers. And I just remember seeing that stack of papers and thinking, it's a big stack of papers. Then come to find out after sitting down, realizing that, oh, she knows about this stack of papers, right? And so there was a, a point somewhere in my fuzzy memory that there was a, a desk that ended up in my bedroom with this stack of papers, and my dad telling me that, I'm going to be spending some time working on these every day until Jesus comes back or they're done, right, one or the other. And so I, I spent a, a good deal of time working on, on, on that homework and, and learning how to do homework, and it was a terrible experience, and I regret it to this day. No, I'm kidding. So here's the thing that I didn't realize as a fourth grader is that the me that eventually I would become would, would enjoy homework, would love to study I mean, the things that I enjoy more than anything in the world, I enjoy messing with cars. It's usually making them go from running to not running. Most people do the opposite. I have a tendency to, anyway. So, but I, I like messing with them, but the thing I love more than anything is studying the Word of God, being a student of the Word of God. I can spend 60 hours a week diving into this thing and pulling out stuff that just makes me have the biggest smile on my face. But if you would have told that to the fourth grade me that hated the idea of homework, I would have said, no way, right? That God would do something in me that would bring me to the place of loving to invest time in study and research and homework and all that kind of stuff. It was ridiculous. So here's the thing, though. The me that I really wanted to be, that I didn't know I wanted to be, was on the other side of a transition that I likely didn't want to make, right? And it's really the same for the majority of us, right? The, the you that you want to become, the best you that God has for you, is on the other side of a transition that you likely don't want to make. 
It's the difficult stuff that we go through that shapes us, right? Right? Excuse me. See, within the, the change of season, we're getting ready to go from, from 2018 to 2019. We get excited about this, this annual transition, right? But here's the thing. For, for almost everyone here, we are at a place in a transition already, right? It may be a, a season that has lasted for, for several years. It may be that you're at the end of a season. It may be that you're at the beginning of a season of life, right? It could be that, that you're starting a new school or your kids are going to a new school or you're, you're moving or you just moved. Right? These are all seasons, right? It could be that uh, you've had some relationship changes. God forbid, it could be that there's a, a death in the family, right? Or someone close to you. It could be a, a change in health, Right? There are a hundred different examples we could use of transitions and seasons that we're all going to go through. And for every one of us, we're in a different place in a season right now. And I think we get excited about the change in the year because we get to see the, the kind of the momentary satisfaction of something changed. Thank Jesus, something changed. Because sometimes we can get down in those seasons and we can't see the end of the tunnel. Right? We feel like, man, when is this going to come to an end? When is this going to change? So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about how to navigate these seasons of transition, these seasons of change. We all go through them at some point, and we want to develop the godly habits necessary uh, to thrive in these seasons. And God doesn't want us just to suffer through them. He wants us to really be able to thrive. And it's like, it's like riding a wave, right? We can be pummeled by it, or we can get on it and, and surf through that tube and come out the other side thinking, you know what, that was a rush. It was a wild ride, and I'm surprised I survived. But here I am, and I came to a good place. We're going to spend uh, a few minutes diving into uh, the book of Numbers real quick. I'm going to read some stuff to you. But we're going to read about the Israelites, about a transition that happened uh, 1445 B.C. And the Israelites had come from uh, slavery in Egypt, 400 years of slavery, and had transitioned to Mount Sinai. They were on their way to the land of Canaan, a land that God promised to Abraham, a land he promised to, to Israel to provide for their future as a destination, right? So, so we're going to talk a little bit about this, but here's the thing. This is a transition that should have taken a little bit over a year. It took 40. And when we, when we boil it down a little bit closer, when we get the microscope a little bit closer, what we realize is that from Mount Sinai to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, that season should have taken three days to move from Mount Sinai to the, the land that was right before entering Canaan. It's a three-day journey. It took them 11 days because of, because of some hiccups. Right? But eventually, they turned it into a 38-year transition. Right? We, need to, we, need to, we can look at some of the things that, that happened there and see how can we maybe shorten our transition time because there's some, things that, so, some habits that we can develop that will help us get through that. All right, so let's take a look at um, numbers here in just a second. Let me see. Is there anything else? Uh, let's, let's imagine for a minute. Imagine with me what these guys experienced. Right between between slavery 
and Mount Sinai, between Mount Sinai and, and the wilderness of Paran. Check this out. Imagine with me for a second. 45-day journey. Okay, they, they get out of Egypt. They travel for 45 days to, to get to Mount Sinai. During this 45-day journey, they come to the, the, the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea, the Red Sea, the Sea of Aquaba. This is deep and it is wide. God parts it open. And they cross on dry land. 2.4 million people, roughly, cross on dry land through an ocean. As they get through, the world leader, the military power of the world, is coming after them. Through this miraculous parting of the sea, and the water comes back and, and, and wipes out the pursuing army by the hand of God. I mean, this is amazing stuff to see. Could you imagine that? I mean, we see it on, on movies and it looks really cool and we, we hear about it in church, but just imagine for a minute what it would be like to see God do something so powerfully miraculous. I mean, that, that is just inconceivable. It's incredible to imagine that. They went from there to not having food. God, we need food. And God provides for them manna. Right? They came out of their tent one morning and, and, and there's this stuff all over the ground like popcorn. And the first thing they say is, what is it? In fact, they decided to name it that. Manna means, what is it? They come out every morning. Hey man, let's gather up some more of this stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's pretty good. Right? The Bible says that it tastes kind of like, like uh, uh, wafers with honey. They had no idea what the heck this stuff is, right? God provided miraculously for them, right? God did miracle after miracle. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Their enemies were taken care of. They were fed manna. They were watered. God gave 2.4 million people water from a giant rock. I don't mean like a mountain giant rock. I mean like the size of a bus standing on one end. Listen, this is, this is stuff that you can get on the internet and look it up and see pictures of this stuff. You can, they, you can search and find remnants of the army that crossed after them crushed. I'm not kidding. You can see pictures of the rock standing in the desert that had rocks all around and on one side of this rock is erosion from water. Right? There's incredible things you can find on the internet. There's some really stupid things you can find on the internet too. But I'm going to tell you, these things are no secret. Right? These are things that, that God did miraculous things to provide for people over a 45-day period where God did miracle after miracle and he brings them to Mount Sinai, to the place of entering into a covenant with him, right? He, to enter into a covenant with him. And they do some crazy, crazy dumb things, right? They build a, a, a calf, a golden calf, right? Essentially to say, God, we want to worship you and we can't see you, so we're going to build this, this, this idol, that's going to represent you to our people. And God's like, no, that's not how we do things. That's how, we did it in Egypt, how you did it in Egypt. But that's not how we're doing it here. This is not going to represent me. I will represent myself. And he represents himself by showing up in a pillar of cloud. The spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, the spirit of God in the form of a cloud by day and what the, is the appearance of fire by night? It wasn't fire. It wouldn't burn you. God wouldn't burn you. He wouldn't consume you. 
but it was the appearance of fire. We're going to read about it in just a second. But imagine all these miraculous things that, that God shows up and does. How many of you think that would probably like solidify your faith? Right? I mean, that's some incredibly in, intense stuff. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. It says this, it says, Now it came to pass on the twelfth day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up above the tabernacle of the testimony. See, the tabernacle of the testimony, uh, after the children of Israel built this golden calf, and God said, nope, that's not how we play. They build, God instructs them to build the tabernacle. Right? It's a tent, a place where they can meet with God, and it's not going to be represented by a golden calf. It's going to be represented by himself, by the spirit of the living God who would lead them. Right? And the Bible tells us that the, that the cloud would sit above the tabernacle. Verse 12, it says, And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. See, this was 11 and a half months after they arrived at Sinai. They set out. It says, then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran, that's three days away, and they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So I think it's kind of interesting that, that God would tell us here that this was the first time they set out according to the command of Moses, because it seemed to me like they did that when they left Egypt, right? But there's something different that God's pointing out here. It's interesting. I'm going to find that out. But God was saying to them, listen, our time here is up. We're moving on. We're going to go transition to another place because I have better things for you. So let's move out. I love uh, this quote from Helen Keller about change. It says, a bend in the road isn't the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. <laughs> a bend in the road isn't the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Right? Change happens. Um, in any transition or season, it's important that we begin with the right perspective. Right? The Israelites had to begin with a different perspective. We have to begin our transitions, or as we move through them, we have to begin to see things the way that God sees them. See, our focus when we're in any sort of a transition or season typically is on the destination. God, where are we going? Where are you taking me to? Where are we leading? Where are you leading me to, right? We're, we're concerned with the destination because when we move from one place to another, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. We are always looking for the next safe place. It's our nature. It's not a bad thing. That's what God put in us. We're looking for the, the next safe place. We want to be comfortable. We want to feel safe. We want to feel like everything's all right. We want to feel like everything's fine, Right? But God's perspective, God sees things differently. See, our focus is on the destination. God's focus is on the transformation. Get that? Our focus is destination. His is on the transformation. He is all about developing and shaping us. The destination is secondary. God has a vision for your future. God has a vision for your tomorrows. And it's not blurry. My view of my future is a little bit shady, right? I have some ideas of what things might look like or what they could look like or where I could be or what I could do, right? But God's vision of your life isn't blurry one single bit. He sees it clear as glass. Absolutely, perfectly, perfectly picture perfect clear. 
But he wants to produce life in you, and it's through the process of transition, it's through the process of different seasons that we go through that he develops in you the character for what you'll need for the next step of the journey. See, he's not only producing life in you, but he's producing life that replicates. He's doing a work in you that you'll be able to share with somebody else that will help shape them for life. Right? God sees a much bigger picture than we do. God sees a tremendously bigger picture. He's always looking at the next step. He's developing you for legacy, not just inheritance. Inheritance is the destination. Right? Inheritance, when we look at the, the Israelites, they were headed towards a destination, an inheritance, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, the Bible says. That was the description that God gave them. Right? But God was developing them for legacy. It wasn't just that they would inherit this land. It was that they would be people who for generation upon generation upon generation would know that they are God's people. And that would be passed down by the way they live. Right? Everything that was in their character, everything that was in their nature would point towards Almighty God. We have to begin seeing things the way that God sees them. See, Job in the Bible is is a great example. I've heard people say, uh, the book of Job, man, that's a weird one. It's a hard one because uh, a lot of people have the perception that the book of Job is about why do bad things happen to good people? If we read the book of Job from the perspective of why do bad things happen to good people, we'll come to the end of the book and say, there's no answer. (laughs) It's not in here, right? Because that's not the point of the book of Job. The point of the book of Job is to have a divine perspective. It's to see the divine point of view, right? It's never about bad things happening to good people. It's about seeing things from God's point of view as he's transforming a man and changing his character to be one that has an eternal perspective, not just a a short one for this finite life that we live, right? God is developing something in Job. And so as you read through the book of Job, Read through it and see it a little bit differently. It's not about why do bad things happen. It's about having the divine viewpoint. But we've got to begin seeing things the way that God does. The you that you brought to the season isn't the you that can enter the next one. We have to allow God to shape us. Romans eight twenty eight and 29, this is a really familiar passage. And it says that, for we know that God will work out all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We take a lot of, of solace in that passage, right? Because that tells us, man, out of all the craziness that's going on, God is somehow gonna take my mess and he's gonna work it out for some kind of good. How many of you say amen, right? I do, yeah, I, man, I stand both feet on that and grab onto it like I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I grab onto that, right? But listen, within that section, you know what we see? Destination, right? We see all things worked out for good. That's a destination. It's a place where I can stand, where I'm safe, secure, and at peace. But listen to what the next verse says. It says, for those who he foreknew... He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's transformation. Catch what he's saying. When we see things with the mind of Christ, our destination will look way different. 
the transitions, the, the, the things that are scary to us now when we have the lens of faith, right? When we're walking in the Spirit and we see things the way, the way Jesus does, those transitions are going to look way different. Those seasons are going to look way different because we'll be standing in a place of knowing that my provision, my hope is not wishy-washy. God has promised he's going to take care of that stuff. I don't have to sweat it. When I'm going through this transition, when I'm going through the season and I wonder, am I going to be alone? Am I going to lose everything? Am I going to be provided for? Am I going to have the things that I need? When we have the mind of Christ that he's developing in us, we will know beyond anything that that stuff's taken care of. That's a promise in Scripture. He will hold you through that. See, now that allows us to focus on other things. It allows us to focus on, Lord, how would you transform me? How would you shape me? Instead of struggling so hard to get to the next transition and struggling so hard, we go right off the corner and miss the left-hand turn and then have to circle back around and do the same thing over again, right? The Lord wants us to be able to make the turns that he has for us because, like I said, the you that brought you to this season is not the same you that can enter the next season, right? God is developing something in us. Practically, maybe you want your marriage to be in a different place. The you that came into your marriage is not the same you that can take your marriage to another place. We have to allow the Lord to shape something in us that's different, Something that the Lord's changing and developing us in us that's more Christ-like, right? Maybe, uh, maybe you've decided, I have to move because my environment is not healthy. I need to go somewhere else to find a healthy environment. Here's the problem. Do you know what you take with you to any place you go? You take you, right? You know what the biggest problem there is? I'm not going to say you. I'll say me. No matter where I go, I take me with me, right? And I will continue to attract the same people I attracted here when I go there. I will continue to, to bring the same stuff and surround myself with the same stuff because it's in my nature. I can't change my nature. He can and he promises to in his word that for those who are in Christ, those who have said, Jesus, yes, Lord, forgive me. I'm a broken, lost sinner, and I need help. Would you come into my life, Lord? I need you so badly. He says, yes. The Bible says that you're a new creation at that point, and he's made a commitment to you to bring you into the best you you can be from his perspective, right, the righteous one. See, the season leading up to Sinai was a trust builder for the, for the Israelites. They couldn't enter into the season of Mount Sinai before they had built the faith in the 45 days in the desert on the way there. Right, while they were at Mount Sinai, entering into covenant with him, they couldn't move into the promise until first they'd established the covenant and known that, you know what, God, we choose you. And then God could say, okay, we're going to move in, right? Each season required a change in character for them. Each step had a change. Let's take a look at this whole, the whole issue with the cloud. I want to talk more about this. Numbers 
chapter 9, verse 15 through 18, it says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, from evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after the children of Israel would journey, and in the place where the cloud would settle down, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Catch this, when the Spirit rested, they rested. When the Spirit moved, they moved. The Lord was saying constantly, day and night, keep your eyes on me. See, he didn't disappear at night. He didn't stay the cloud, right? At night, he was, you could see him. In the daytime, you could see him. Have you ever seen the movie Hitch? It has Will Smith in it. He's, uh, he's teaching this guy how to date. And I can't remember the, the other, who's the other actor? Yeah, Kevin James, that's right. Yeah, yeah, super funny guy, right? And so he's teaching this guy how to dance because he doesn't know how to dance. He's never been on a date. And he tells him, he says, all right, look, I'm going to teach you how to dance. He, he does this. He says, all right. That's the best I can do. He says, look, man, th- right here, this is, this is, no matter what the dance is, this is where you're at, right? You don't get away from this. When I move, you move. When I rest, you rest. Keep your eyes on me, right? When I move, you move. And that's where you live. That's what he tells the guy. This is where you live. You don't move out of this. You stay right here. That's what this verse is telling us. This is where you live. When I move, you move. When I rest, you rest. Keep your eyes on me. We're good with God moving. We love the excitement. We love the journey. We love the God is moving. It's going to be awesome. We're heading to the destination, right? Land flowing with milk and honey. That's where I want to be. We don't have such an easy time with the rest part. When I move, you move. When I rest, you rest, right? The problem is sometimes when the Lord rests, we get restless, Right? And it begins to cry out. Right? We get uneasy when, when, we're, when we're in these seasons of rest. God wants to bring us to a place where we can rest in Him. Let me read a verse to you. Psalm 91, I love this. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and I will trust in him. Surely he will deliver you from every snare of the fowler and from the, the, the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, 
nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look. He says, you'll see it. You'll see it happening all around you, but you're going to be okay. For those who take rest in the Lord. The Lord wants to bring us to the place where we can rest in him where we can rest in him. And it is hard to rest in the Lord. It, it's hard to rest. We are, just, we, we are people that are, are, are good at going. We're good at going full speed ahead. And the Lord wants to, to bring us to a place where we trust in him and we lean into him and we rest in him. When he rests, we don't move until we know that he moves. But here's the thing. Sometimes rest, uh, restlessness as it's crying out, we can, we can make rash decisions. We can make decisions that have a lasting impact. Our restfulness cries out sometimes. But here's the thing. Restlessness can be mistaken as a move of God. Because we are naturally wanting to move and wanting to go. Sometimes when, when the Lord's saying, it's time to stay. Right? We can, we can look at restlessness as man, I'm feeling restless, I'm feeling like, I feel like I need to be doing something, I need to feel like, I, I feel like I've got to be working, I've got to be moving, right? Maybe that's God and I've got to go, right? But here's the thing, when we rest, in fact, I was talking to Bob this morning, he, he, he said this is, this is an all Bob thing, right? When, when, when we rest, God's at work, right? When we rest, God's at work. When we're not resting, right, we get restless and, and we're robbing the Lord of the opportunity to minister and we're robbing ourselves, right? We've got to take time to, to sit in the presence of God and spend time in that relationship and that intimacy with him, right? Keeping our eyes on him, keeping our hearts set on him, keeping our thoughts set on him. God moved for the Israelites when they were comfortable, right? When they had rested and they started getting to the place where they were comfortable, God said, all right, we're getting too comfortable, time to go. Because I've shaped something in you that is reliant on me. See, they were going to come to the place, to, to a, a wilderness, to a place where if they didn't learn to stop and rest when God said rest, they wouldn't be able to accomplish what God had for them. We'll talk about that more next week. But Psalm, uh, Psalm 131, I, I love this verse. I'll read it to you. It says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. See, King David wrote this later in his life. Neither do I concern myself with great matters nor of things too profound for me. See, I get a kick out of this verse because this is the same King David who years earlier in his life wrote Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. See, there was a time in David's life where God would say, David, it's time to rest. Okay, God, I'm gonna rest. Here we go, let's rest. No, I want you to rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I know it's not comfortable, David, to lie down and to rest, but I want you to rest. Nope. Stay. Stay. He restores my soul. Through the season of David being made to rest, he learned that God's restoring his soul through that process. But we come later in his life and he, we see something different. We see a guy who is, who is not being made to rest. He's learned how to quiet his soul. 
He says, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child from his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Lord, or O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Listen, a lot of you in here have had little children. I've had two of them. And there is nothing more unrestful than an unweaned child. Right? They demand to be fed. They demand to be changed. They demand for sleep. They demand to wake up. They demand, they demand, they demand, and they keep demanding more. Right? David says something here that's awesome. He says, he says, my soul, I've quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. See, a child who is weaned, I remember my, my little girls, you know, I'd, I'd hold them and I'd pat them and they'd, they'd come to that place of being weaned where not only were they trying to tell me about their expectations as an unweaned child, but as a weaned child, now they know my expectations. They know that they can trust that I'm going to meet their need. They don't cry out for it anymore. They've learned my routine or my wife's routine. I could take my kids when it's bedtime. I could put them in the crib and I could give them like three pats on the back, a little scratch, lights out, right? They were, they were out. There was no crying, no demanding, no screaming. And David says, you know what? I got my, my soul to a place where I was at peace. I knew my father's expectations. Instead of me demanding my expectations be met, God, Lord, I'm uncomfortable. I'm in the season where, where I, I don't know what's going to happen. Lord, I'm flailing about. He got to a place where he said, you know what, Lord, in, in the seasons of change, these seasons of transition, Lord, I'm going to quiet my soul because I know you're going to take care of this. You see, the cool thing about a, a child who's weaned as they grow older you can have a relationship with them, an, an intimate thing, right, where you can talk and you can share your heart with your kids. And they can share their heart with you and you have this trust, right? Provision is no longer a concern at that point. It's all going to be taken care of. God's going to see, see us through this, right? David knew that to, in order to get to this place. And God wants us to get to that place where, where you know that you know God's going to take care of this. He's going to take care of this. Focus on resting in Him. Focus on the relationship with Him. But allow your soul to be quieted. For some of you here this morning, you've been in a season of, of transition for a little while. Or maybe you just started one. But I want to remind you today that God loves you and you are not alone in this transition. The season that you're in right now won't last forever. It'll come to an end. And the Lord wants to lead you through it in a way that as you go through this, you allow him to shape your character so that when you come out the other side, you'll be a person full of life and a person full of peace so that God forbid your next transition, we're all going to go through another one, right, will be one that we can navigate differently knowing that all the things through the first challenge that I, I thought, man, God, I don't know if you're going you're gonna to see me through this. I don't know if this is going to work out. The Lord, the Lord showed us. It's okay. I'll take care of it. 
You just rest. So real quickly, just a quick recap of, of, of some things to help lead us through our transitions. Start by seeing things God's way. Right? We've got to stop seeing things as destination-oriented but transformation-oriented. God is shaping us through the transition. He's transforming us in our character to be people of faith. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, right? When he moves, we move. When he rests, we what? Night and day, we keep our eye on him. We need to allow the Lord to quiet our soul and bring us to that place like a weaned child where we can say, God, this is really rough, but Lord, I trust you. Let's close our eyes up. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's some rough stuff that we go through in this life. Lord, your word makes a declaration from your mouth where you, you told us that in this life gonna, there's going to be many, many challenges. But don't sweat it. I've overcome the world. Lord, would you instill that same confidence in your kids that you made it through this and we're going to also? It's not a question of if. It's an absolute promise that you're going to carry us through. We can either go through kicking and screaming or we can go through with a quieted soul full of rest so that when we come out the other side, we're rested and at peace and can, and can take on this, this new thing you have for us. So Jesus, I pray that today for anyone here who has not put their faith in you, who's wrestling through a season I want to tell you that, that God loves you and that he doesn't want you to have to wrestle through this season. Put your trust in him. Rest in him. Rest in Jesus. If that's you today and, and you say, you know what, I want, to, I want to know what rest is because I haven't had it in a while, you can find it in Jesus. You can find it in his forgiveness. And so I want to invite you, if that's you, would you just look up at me as I look across the room? I just, just make eye contact with me. I just want to acknowledge today and let you know that your sins are forgiven. He loves you, and you can find rest. If I don't see you, just, just wave a hand at me. see you. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, as we go out of this place, Lord, I pray that you would absolutely center our soul on you. Lord, you just re remind us that, that keep, my, keep our eyes on you. Lord, help us to find rest this week as we keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. Um, let's, let's lead through one more song real quick before we run out of here. Can we do that? All right. Would you go and stand up and sing You Are Good With Us?